If you've got a Bible, please open it to James. Uh, Today we are going to be in uh, James chapter 5 as we continue along in our sermon series, uh, The Subtle Art of Living Well. Uh, We're not going to be in James immediately, but if you've got it open there, uh, you'll be ready to follow along. We're up to chapter 5 today. But before we actually read it and get into it, it's helpful if we hear from James' older brother. His older brother is Jesus. James and Jesus were uh, biological brothers uh, and a lot of what, well, everything that James has to say is really him coming to understand what his older brother Jesus uh, had to say. Jesus once told this story. There once was a rich man, a very rich man and there was no mistaking that he was rich. He looked rich, he oozed rich, he dressed like he was rich, he walked like he was rich, he drove a car like, well no in those days they didn't have cars uh, but today you can imagine the thing, he's got a rich house, he's got a rich car, he's got a rich family, money was never ever a concern for him, he had everything that he possibly needed, he lived in luxury. Outside his home, every day, was a man named Lazarus, at the opposite end of the social pecking order. He was poor, really poor, a beggar and he parked himself each day outside of the rich man's house hoping that he might even get some of the scraps of food that were being put out in the garbage bins or in council cleanup. He was so much at the bottom of the social pecking order that Jesus even says this, recorded for us in the Bible, dogs came and licked his sores. And the time came when the beggar died and the beggar was taken up into heaven, into eternity with God and Jesus and the angels. The rich man also died and he went to hell where he was in torment every day. And Jesus says that the rich man called out to Lazarus and said, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. And Father Abraham, who was in heaven as well, replies, rich man, remember that it was in your lifetime that you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here in heaven into eternity while you are in agony. And between us and you, there is a great divide that cannot be crossed. I think that is a very unsettling parable. No matter how many times I read it or reflect on it or tell it or look into the eyes of people that are hearing it, it doesn't get any less unsettling. 
Another time, Jesus said this very succinctly, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Jesus never balks at confronting rich people and the love of money. How do you honestly feel towards the rich? Perhaps you heard about the Canberra man this week who received $1 million from gambling on lotto. Did you hear about the CEO of the cryptocurrency company who died back in December holding the passwords for 115,000 accounts totaling $275 million? And now as Ernst & Young has done an investigation in it, it has actually found that from April last year the accounts were emptied. An article that appeared in the New York Times back in February, written by Farhad Manju, wrote an article that says the world would be better off without billionaires. He says this, At some level of extreme wealth, money inevitably corrupts. On the left and the right, it buys political power, it silences dissent, it serves primarily to perpetuate even greater wealth, often unrelated to any reciprocal social good. Except for one or two billionaires that he lists in his article, he sees that ridiculous amounts of money corrupt society and is bad. Now, I'm no economist or great sociologist, but my observation, even of just me, we don't need even a dollar in our bank account in our pocket or in cryptocurrency. We don't even need one dollar for the love of money to corrupt us. Now, James is really helpful for us. He is trying to help us to live well in the world. And he has some, he gives some special attention to riches and prosperity and living wisely. Have you got your Bible open there at James? We're going to go right back to the start of James, chapter 1, starting at verse 2, and see some of the things that James says about riches and prosperity in living wisely. Chapter 1, verse 2. Oh, I'm still in Luke. Lay me down. Gives you time to find it. Chapter 1, verse 2. James talks about there being blessing so that we might even consider it pure joy whenever we go through trials. Those trials could include financial hardship, but in the midst of that financial hardship of not having riches, there's this great promise that God is growing us in perseverance, growing us in faith, growing us in godliness through financial hardship to work out His good plans and purposes for us. Chapter 1, verse 9. Humble circumstances, even humble financial circumstances, are a reason for pride. Not sinful pride, but a genuine boast in God that you are in a good position. Chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, James reminds us that wealth will fade away, as will all those who depend on their wealth in this age. Chapter 1, verse 27, James talks about pure religion, 
religion that is a good thing, the living out of our faith. Pure religion uses wealth to look after and provide for vulnerable people. Here he mentions widows and orphans. As immediately we go into chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, James says there is no place for Christians in favouring the rich over the poor. No, no bias for making relationships with one person because of the money that they might have and the favour that they might bring for us. And those of us who have money, not using our money to win friends to the detriment of the poor. You see, God, chapter 2, verse 5, this is what He is like. He is biased toward the poor who love Him. Jump over chapter 3 into chapter 4. Tim took us through this passage a few weeks ago. Passage all about fights and quarrels and arguments, conflict. They come about because of our jealous desire for what others have that we don't have. Then chapter 4, verse 13, which we were in last week, James warns merchants, the upwardly mobile in the world, he warns about overconfident self-confidence in our own ability to make plans apart from God. That's James' wise observation in the world about riches, and prosperity. And so then we come to chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. You got it there? Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Now these verses are addressed to rich unbelievers. Those who in their riches have distanced themselves from God, have set themselves apart from God, have set themselves up as their own God. What we have here from James is prophetic wisdom. He is observing the present, he is observing the people round about him in the first century when wealth just kind of oozed up out of the ground with new opportunities for travel and trade and entrepreneurialism and aspirations being met, a new age of small business going out into the world. And James was observing that present rich wealth and the pattern of people's lives and as he 
followed the trajectory into eternity of where those people round about him were going to end up. Verse 1, he says, Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. This is the pattern of the people that he's observing round about him. Verses 2 and 3, they hoard their wealth. They store up for themselves more and more and more without having an eye on God's timeline. Verse 4, they are dishonest in handling money. They rip off other people to make more money, even ripping off their own employees. Verse 5, they are self-indulgent. They live for self. They are the kings and queens of their own empires. And chapter 5, verse 6, their, their actions, their attitudes are as ugly and as offensive and abusive as murder. Verse 6, you have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. You can't help but think of Judas here. Judas Iscariot. This verse is not talking about Judas Iscariot, but one who hoards up riches, dishonest gain, using money for themselves apart from God is like Judas, who sold out on Jesus for money. Did I say it was like Jesus? like Judas, who sold out on Jesus for money. Now, James doesn't expect that rich are going to read these verses. He's actually writing these verses down for believers, for for the believers in the church, for the brothers and sisters in the church. This is written down for us. And so, in verse 7, the brothers and sisters are addressed directly again. Be patient then, brothers and sisters. This is a kind of prophetic wisdom, where James observes what's going on round about him in the rich who have set themselves apart from God, and he, and he gives a prophecy about them. He says, this is the trajectory of where they're going to end up, and brothers and sisters, you are listening in on this. James wants us to know the subtle art of living well, when money is plentiful. So whether that money, that plentiful plentiful money be held by people round about us and we have little, or we are the ones who are holding plenty of money, James wants us to learn this subtle art of living well, when money is plentiful, round about us. And if we're going to learn the subtle art of handling money and let James 5 has its full effect on our hearts and minds, uh, we need to think more broadly about what the Bible teaches us about riches. And so right now we're going to press pause on James 5 and we're going to look at the whole rest of the Bible. Well, I'm going to give you a pretty good summary of it in four points. Last year I did a whole month of sermon series on money, uh, Generation Generous, uh, we called it, May uh, 2018. 
you might like to go back and remind yourselves of what we uh, did there or if you weren't with us, uh, look that up on our SoundCloud account. But I'm going to give you a summary of four sermons now in about eight minutes. Well, I haven't actually timed it yet, we'll see how we go. Point number one, every part of the Bible that reflects on what God has made and on what God provides both in creation and ongoing and into the future, every time the Bible reflects on that, there's an emphasis on the goodness of what God has made and the abundance of God's provision. You can test that out if you want, just flick to a whole bunch of different passages or go back to Genesis or or go into Revelation. Um, Every passage will emphasise the goodness of what God has made and the abundance with which He provides. And so as we receive what God has given us, as we enjoy it, as we steward, steward it, as we manage it, God is glorified when we acknowledge the goodness of what God has made and God is glorified when we enjoy all those good gifts with thanks to Him. That's point number one. Enjoy all good gifts from God with thanks. Yet, like our parents in the garden... We want what we don't have. We think that God hasn't given us enough. And so we take for ourselves, we we hoard up what we shouldn't. Like James said in chapter 4, we get ourselves into quarrels and conflicts because we desire what we don't have. We lose control of ourselves. Greed takes over. In the recent Royal Commission into the financial sector... One of the testimonies that has stood out to me that is unforgettable was this one by an associate professor of economics. Let's not be too tough on the witnesses at the Royal Commission. Some of them are in the equivalent situation to drug addicts. They have lost control of their lives to a powerful substance. That was said in the first couple of weeks of the Royal Commission. How much more... We know now, when we grasp God's good gifts, the place that God should have in our heart is easily filled up by greed. And so to combat greed, the enduring habit of the Christian life is repentance. That lifetime, deliberate deliberate pattern of turning away from ourself and turning towards God to not doing things for ourselves, not setting ourselves up as gods in the world, not setting ourselves up as kings, though we are far, far from it, but living like we've got our own little birthday, I mean crown on our head that says, I am happy because I have got what I need. No, the pattern of Christian living is is to take off the crown, to let God have the crown that He alone has, to rely on God alone for everything that we need in life. That is repentance, to turn away from that and towards God and towards the wise use of money. 
Now, alongside that repentance, Jesus talks just as much as shrewd generosity. So point two was meet greed with repentance. And as much as Jesus talks about that, particularly in Luke's Gospel, he talks about being shrewdly generous. Jesus commands wisdom in handling riches. Not just being frugal, but being shrewd, creative, entrepreneurial, creative. It's a subtle art. Everything that we have been entrusted to entrusted with is to be used with kingdom purposes in mind and so the apostle Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 I'm going to do a sermon series in 2 Corinthians in term 3 Uh, so we'll come back to this Uh, but remember these verses Paul says to the Corinthians to the Christians there in Corinth see that you excel in the grace of giving (laughs) not just tick it off not just get it right once but be experts in it, to, to get straight A's and beyond. See that you excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. We are to give like Jesus gave. Jesus who gave extravagantly. Jesus who gave more than any one of us could ever possibly give. He became poor so that we might become rich. He gave up, even, he gave up um, uh, his claim on heaven to, to become human, to take on the nature of a servant, to be obedient even to death, to be nailed on a cross, to be put in a tomb and so that God might raise him up to the highest place, that he might have the name that is above every name and that's just not a good news story for Jesus but in that he drags us up into the riches of his glory into eternity forever. Paul says, be as shrewdly generous as Jesus is. And point four, how am I going with the eight minutes? Anyone time me? One of the teenagers surely did. Six minutes apparently. No, I don't know. Point four, do not worry. In everything, do not worry. Hebrews 13.5, write this on your fridge or diary or in your memory this week. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. That'd make a nice little life statement on its own. But the second bit, the second bit, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because, because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God just didn't say that through an apostle, through a church leader, many, many years ago when life was more simple, where you could get by with providing for yourself here and there and and, and you didn't have to go to work and you didn't have to go to school and you didn't have to plan for university and you didn't have to plan for cryptocurrency and you didn't have to plan for economic 
breakdowns and financial crashes and redundancy. God said it way back in the Old Testament and when God makes a promise, it will stay true until he says it's no longer true. And God has never undone this promise. God says to all his people everywhere, all time, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Your life, your financial affairs are not too complex for God to keep to that promise. And so Jesus says, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Do you imagine us having a thanksgiving and dedication service for a new coat? <laughs> Isn't your life more than food and clothes? Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Has it worked for anybody? Let me know later if... Jesus is wrong on that. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? But seek first his kingdom, his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry. Now there's so much more that the Bible says about money and material prosperity. But I've gathered it all together so far out of my 40 years of living, I'm not much further down the track than Brock is. And these statements, I think, capture the four corners of thinking about money and material prosperity. Enjoy all good gifts from God with thanks. Meet greed with repentance. Be shrewdly generous and do not worry. Now, this is a long introduction to hearing James's wisdom in chapter 5. So open it up again, James chapter 5, we're now ready to hear it. Often, as we read wisdom literature in the Bible, and I think James is wisdom literature, like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. I I do want to do a sermon series on that, but Brock and Tim keep telling me no. Uh, Song of Songs. The wisdom literature in the Bible, and some of it's scattered in different places, and, 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 and Job and parts of Psalms. Wisdom literature doesn't tell us what to do. So if you're waiting there with your pen this morning taking notes, waiting for the bit, here's what you to do, or you're waiting to wake up to hear the to-do bit, just stay asleep because there is no to-do bit. You see, with wisdom literature, what the wise person does for us is describes the world as it is. This is it. I'm giving you a picture of the world. I'm, I'm holding up a mirror so that you can see yourselves. Uh, The the wise person doesn't tell us about how the world should be, just says it's like this. 
And as we see it from that perspective, as we look in the mirror, as we see ourselves, it causes us to just slow down and think, hey, where am I headed? What, what should I be doing? How do I go about pursuing the subtle art of living well in the place that God has placed me? How do I pursue that subtle art of living well when money is plentiful? James 5 could be for you a severe warning. A severe warning about riches and wealth and material prosperity and where you are at right now in relation to God. Could be a bittersweet comfort that is your mind is aligned back to God's perspective on wealth and going, though I don't have a lot, though I don't have perhaps what I need, though I wish I had much more, no, I don't need to be in that place. But keep entrusting myself to God. Knowing God's purposes into eternity and His provision. We're just supposed to slow down and think. And that's what we're going to do. Please listen again to James' observation for when money is plentiful and sit in it. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. Let's quietly sit with that for a moment and then I'll lead us in a time of prayer. Have mercy on us, O God, because of your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, wipe out our sin. We know we have failed you and fallen short of your glory. We've taken your good gifts without giving thanks to you. We've sought more than you give and filled up your place in our hearts with greed. We've been wasteful and kept more for ourselves than we give to others. And even in plenty, we have been anxious for more rather than trust in you. This is our sin against you. We deserve the punishment that James sees coming for the rich unbeliever.
Because of Jesus, we plead. Give us not what we deserve, but what you have promised to all who turn to you. May Jesus' death bear our penalty, our guilt and our shame. May his righteousness and goodness be ours. And as we know of your riches to us in Christ, may generosity fill our hearts and the praise, be on, praise of you be on our lips. Amen.